Christ alone my hope is found He is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm to the fiercest drought and storm lights of love what first cry. 
love that. Love that. This is the power of Christ in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Good to see you all here tonight. Glad everybody made it out on a Wednesday night. I'm sure that most of you, like me, probably had a long day today. You're feeling the effects of it. But uh, I'm thrilled that you've taken your time and spent your energy to come take a moment away and just praise the Lord and worship together and let His, let His Word minister to our hearts and minds. Uh, what key were we in? Can we go up to F? Let's sing, I bless your name. I'm sorry, let's go back to singing. Let's go. In prisoner's chains With bleeding stripes Paul and Silas prayed that
one more time. We have quite a few. Uh, Brother David, I'll ask you if you would be ready to come pray over these. We want to remember Brother Ben McCafferty, who's not here tonight. I believe he's having some issues with his back. And uh, I can relate to what it's like to go through back issues. We really want to hold him up in prayer. We also want to remember uh, 
Brother Jaron Brown, who's uh, having to work tonight. We also want to remember Brother Keith Buchanan. He's also working tonight. Uh, we want to remember Sister Amber McCall in prayer. Uh, I believe she's going to be having some medical testing done or is having it done. We just want to uplift her. We want to remember Sister Shirley Buchanan. Uh, I believe her hips and knees have been bothering her. Glad she made it out tonight. God bless her. Lift her up in prayer. And uh, I know I'm going to mispronounce this, but uh, we want to remember the Ningo Mais, the Ningo Mais, uh, in prayer. Brother Aaron and Sister Trish. Uh, we want to remember Lydia Clavel in prayer. I don't know what the nature of that need is, but God knows, and He's certainly, certainly able to deal with it. We want to pray for Brother Gerald Crowell. Uh, who has cancer. We also want to uphold uh, Sister Mary Smith in prayer. And uh, certainly Brother Richard as well, taking care of her. We want to uphold Brother Jared Mead in prayer. He uh, he has one grandmother who's passed away and uh, one grandmother that's been released into hospice care all within a short time. So undoubtedly he's he's going through some things and your prayers would support and uplift him. So uh let's just stand again if you would. Brother David, if you would come take these prayer requests before the Lord, just quickly. We have a praise report from my wife, Sister Melody. She lost her uh license a couple of days ago. Had been looking for it pretty frantically, praying for it to show up. We have a uh, we have some travel planned starting this weekend, so she needed she needs her license to be able to get on a plane. So that was becoming an urgent need. And this morning she found it. Felt like the woman in the parable of the last coin was really rejoicing over that. But uh, it's an answer to prayer, and we just we want to give God the glory in the little things and the great things. To God be the glory. Amen, Brother David. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to come in the middle of the week, dear Lord. Lift our empty cups and just ask you to fill it up once again, dear Lord. As I lay my hands on these requests, dear Lord, though there are many, many are the afflictions of the righteous, dear Lord, whether they be physical needs or spiritual needs, emotional needs, financial needs, dear Lord, we know that you can touch each and every one of them. So we just surrender them to you this day, dear Lord, knowing that you'll Bless and touch them, dear Lord. Be with them, all those that are working, dear Lord. Just give them strength even now. Lift them up, dear Lord, and just go to them and comfort them, knowing that we are here carrying them to you, dear Lord. We just ask you to bless this service tonight. Bless the minister's lips to say what you would have him to say and anoint our ears to hear, dear Lord. May it your word fall on good prepared ground dear lord we just give this night entirely into your hands in jesus christ's name we pray amen let's uh let's sing that song i have a maker as brother barry gets ready to come 
together. We have a couple of requests that I wanted to bring to you, and one is from uh, Brother Steve's church up in uh, Virginia, uh, Brother Gerald Crowell, who's dealing with cancer, and uh, we want to remember him in prayer. Also as well, we want to continue to remember Sister Greg, and uh, Sister Greg is still under the care of hospice, and um, she's uh, she struggles uh, just about, uh, you know, just in, in a very real way. And uh, we want to continue to remember her in prayer and just trust that the Lord will uh, give her peace and uh, just take her completely under his control. I received word uh, a day or two ago that my cousin, who is my age, uh, was just diagnosed with bone cancer. And uh, he lives up in Newfoundland, so we want to remember him in prayer. His name is John Coleman. There's a caregiver who helps with uh, Brother Fulcher, and uh, her stepfather has a very serious heart condition, and uh, his name is Coach Crowder, and we were asked to remember him in prayer as well. We don't know him, but whenever uh, somebody comes to the Bride of Christ and asks, uh, 
you know, a particular request, that's something that we take seriously. And so uh, we uh, take all of those things upon our heart just like we would anybody else. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening believing, Lord, that you care about every request, Lord, that's mentioned. Father, some of these situations, Lord, are life-threatening and I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would be merciful, Lord, and reach out to minister to each one of these individuals, Lord, their families and the conditions and circumstances that they face. We know there's nothing that's impossible for you. There's nothing, Lord, that's too great for you. So in the name of Jesus Christ now, we just pray with faith and confidence, believing, Lord, that you are still a healer today, believing you are the same as you always have been. And so in Jesus' name, we ask now that you would take these situations under your control. And Father, we pray now for those who are away, those who are working, those who are not well. We ask, in uh, Lord, in confidence that uh, you would just take complete control of this service, Lord. May you breathe upon it and all that's said and done. May it all be for your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. And amen. Before you're seated, if you don't mind, let's take your Bible. We're going to look in uh, the scripture in Revelation chapter 13. Thank you, musicians, tonight. And uh, appreciate you filling in there. Appreciate Matt uh, filling in so faithfully on Wednesday night. Not always easy and possible for everybody else to get here, but we appreciate uh, Matt being flexible there. And uh, we just kind of plug him in uh, where we need a. Need a, where we need a mat cross. Revelation th- chapter 13. Just a verse here. Uh, just a couple of verses here. And this is the um, familiar passage that we've been dealing with, but we're going to deal with it in a different context here tonight. And he, the Antichrist, the beast power, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Certainly good to have the Holloways back uh, tonight. God bless you. And uh, heard good reports in the service on the weekend. Brother Mike was up in Virginia and uh, ministering there. We appreciate that very much. Uh, we were doing the running some tests over in the sanctuary this afternoon in the new sanctuary and uh, testing our, our video, and it's going to be all completely different. And I realize that, um, you know, the lighting affects the projectors now. That's what's, that's what's showing this on the board's projectors. In the new sanctuary, there'll be no projectors anymore. Uh, it'll be screens, and you can be anywhere in the building, and it'll all look the same. You can have all the lights on or off, and it won't make any difference uh, it'll be it'll be a whole lot better, and uh, you'll be able to see the pictures, you'll be able to read it a lot more accurately. So uh, we're just uh, we're thankful for the work that's gone into that. Uh, in our new sanctuary, um, apparently there's going to be no food or drink brought into the sanctuary at all, at all, because there shouldn't be, and because we've spent a lot of money in completely renovating the whole place, and so. We're not going to have food or drink in the congr- in the sanctuary at all. And everybody said, and everybody under five said, I'll say amen for you. No crayons, no markers, nothing that will defile in any way. So, um, 
We are glad you're here tonight. Now, we're going to continue on with the same title here tonight. We're going to step into the waters number five, uh, and we're going to deal with this subject again on, on the idea of control, but we're going to do it a little bit differently here tonight because it seems like this topic jumps up at me from all kinds of angles, and so we're going to step back a little bit today from the personal and, and look at a few things here in the scripture and in the world that are taking place. So uh, just bear with me here today. Just follow me as best you can as we, uh, and I know you do, and uh, just to, to look at some of the things that uh, are pertinent here. Now, as we have been talking about, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on review here because most of you have followed along and uh, heard me talk about this subject here. When we look at the order of crossing into the promised land, by the Israelites in the first exodus. They went out under Moses and came in under Joshua. The crossing point was the Jordan River. And in the Jordan River, there was unique things that took place, in, which are described in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, where they had to uh, follow the ark. They had to, to watch the ark and where it went, when it went. There was a timing and a process that God had put in order and told Joshua how this was all going to unfold. They had to follow it. They had to also separate themselves by virtue of uh, cleansing themselves, purifying, sanctifying themselves, getting rid of things that didn't belong across the river. And then thirdly, they had to step in and be committed to go all the way. They had to do those three things. Keep your eye on the ark, sanctify yourselves, and step in. They had to physically, literally step in. This was not a, uh, there was no option for them uh, to be a part of the promise and still be over here on the other side of the river. They had to step in and they had to commit themselves to going all the way. I believe those things are, are three parallels easily, uh, easily laid out for us uh, to, to recognize in our day as well. That we, we also have been trained, and I think very thoroughly, we've been trained to keep our eye on the word. Uh, no matter what happens. So no matter what doctrine comes up, no matter what teaching comes up, uh, no matter what rises among the message community, hey, who cares? We're keeping our eye on the Word. This is not about following ministers. This is not about building human kingdoms. This is not about hanging around here and see who can be biggest. This is about following the Word. It's all about His timing and His process. So when He moves, we move. And, and when a, a question or a problem arises in a church, Hey, we're looking to the Word, and, and we want to find out what's the standard that's raised for us. How do we apply discipline, or how do we make corrections among us according to the Word of God? And so it's not my standard, and it's not my idea or your idea. It's what does God say about situations that arise among people, and there always will be situations that arise among people. But the bottom line is this. We stay with the Word. We watch it. We watch it unfold. We watch it move. And that's what's important. We also uh, have to believe that uh, sanctification is still very much a part of the process of the, uh, or a characteristic of the walk of Christians in our time, right? Sanctification is never out of season when it comes to Christianity. It's, it's always correct to sanctify yourself before God. But like Brother Branham said, no matter how hard I preach it and I go across the country and, and uh, you know, lay it out, he said, it gets worse every time I come back. There's a pushback against holiness in every age. In every age, there's a pushback. So 
there are people who feel like they don't want to be told what to wear and, you know, how they should conduct themselves, uh, you know, in a physical sense. Uh, but holiness is not just an outward set of rules that we need to check off on the checklist and make sure, well, I'm not wearing this and I'm not wearing that. And I don't have a tattoo and I don't have an earring in. So, you know, according to the list, I'm okay. Listen, the presence of God brings sanctification. Brother Bram said the presence of God brings holiness. And I will tell you something. We follow the commandments of God because we love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so it's based on that. It's based on a relationship. And then thirdly, I believe that we had to be committed to go all the way. I think it's going to become tighter before we do actually step into the waters and cross over. And I think by then you're going to have very two, very, uh, very clear options. There's only going to be two of them. I'm going to stay or I'm going to go. To stay will probably be presented as the easier way, but it will lead you into tribulation. The second one will lead you into glory. And you're going to have to make a choice one way or the other. That's where it's all coming down to. There's not dozens of options on the table. There's really only two. And so if we're going to do this, we're going to do it by faith. It's not going to be by sight. We're going to do it by faith. And so therefore we've got to be committed to go all the way and believe that because God said this is how it's going to wind up, and this is how it's going to end, then we've got to be committed to, to go all the way with him. And so that's why I'm teaching on this, because we're, we're talking about an event we're coming to. We're talking about that change of our body. We're, we, I believe we're in the rapture season or the rapture cycle now. I believe it's on now. It's on now. I'll tell you why it's on now, because the Bible says it is. That the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice, and the trump of God. Do you believe we have the shout? So something started, right? So we're in that cycle. We're not, it's not over, but we're not waiting for it to begin. We're in it. It culminates when our bodies are changed. So we're waiting for the change. And, and that's what's going to happen. We shall be caught away in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So that's, that's, I, I hope that's clear. Now, Brother Branham makes this statement here, and I love this because it kind of gives me a little license here. Uh, to do this, he said, if, and he encouraged the people to make notes, uh, to write things down. I write things down because I forget uh, very easily. But he said in this study of the Mark of the Beast, when he was doing it, he said, I'll give you the place where it's at in Scripture. And usually when we comb through it, it takes weeks and months because things unfold and reveal themselves as you're walking in the light. And so uh, uh, the, the, the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 also deals with holiness. Here are the three things that we talked about, the order of entry into the promised land, to watch the, the ark, and this is what God told Joshua to tell the people, sanctify yourselves and step into the waters. Now, uh, as far as the, the holiness part, as in, this is what we mentioned, uh, it, it, is, it is following peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And the word follow is not a passive word. It, it is... In whatever way, whatever it takes, no matter what's in the way, I'm going after this. And I'm pursuing it out of a, 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 a real sense that this is what I must do. And this is what I really want to do. It's an earnest endeavoring to acquire something. If, you're, if you really want to own your own house... You've got to save, you've got to sacrifice, you've got to plan, you've got to budget, you've got to do whatever it takes. But if you really want to have your own house, those are some of the sacrifices that you're willing to make. Nobody's going to come and give you one. 
You've got to pursue that yourself. That's a natural thing. Holiness is what Paul writes and says that we need to follow peace and holiness because without them, you're going to miss what God has for you. No man shall see the Lord. And Brother Manum encouraged this particular brother in 1960, Brother Williams. Uh, he said, don't never let that spirit of worship and that clean holiness ever die among you. And that's why, despite the fact that trends in music change, it doesn't mean that it necessarily needs to always change in the church. Right? Just because something is called Christian, like Christian rock or Christian rap, which is an oxymoron, isn't it? then it doesn't necessarily mean that it automatically fits among the saints. Because you know what? The whole, the whole purpose of music and worship is to do something that's pleasing unto him. Not unto those who stream. And not unto the congregation so we'll get more people. But the Bible says that God delights in the praises of his people. So Brother Branham loved to hear uh, appropriate music, and uh, he said, don't ever let that spirit of worship and clean holiness die among you. Keep that light burning, for it's the lifeline of the church. It's Christ in the church. So we want it to be Christ in me, but we want it to be Christ among us as well. And those are two worthy goals for us to have. So Brother Ram's advice was, Christians, he said, line up with God's word, look in the mirror. We don't want to make our, uh, we don't want to make the scripture line up with our thoughts, but the only thing, he said, line yourself up with the scripture. Don't let the, don't try to line the scripture up to your thought, but line yourself up with the scripture. It's just amazing. Listen, despite the fact that this is a basic quote, and there's lots of others like it, and we've had lots of teachings related to it, there are still people who are broadcasting the fact that uh, if, if they have a view or an opinion on something, um, they're going to try to find a way to make the Scripture line up to their thought process. Ministers do it. It's not that they did it, they still do it. And it doesn't make it right just because you can craft the, the message or the Scripture to suit your understanding of things or to reduce some of Brother Branham's words to Brother Branham's advice. It doesn't automatically make it right when you, when you call it something else. Because I'll tell you what, I don't feel like I'm in a position to take Brother Branham's teachings and Brother Branham's words and decide what's his advice and what's coming from a prophet. I'm sorry, but I don't. And neither do you. Because he was a vindicated prophet. So what matters is what's true and what God vindicates. But it still happens. I mean, it still happens. Anyway, I better go on because I'll get in trouble. All right, so <clears throat> there are things that God does not want to have on the other side of the river. There's things that God does not want you to bring with you over uh, on the other side. And there are things that are easy to give up and easy to identify if they're physical, right? If you've got... Uh, if you've got a bad website or if you've got some bad kind of music or a book or something else, it's kind of easy to apply the token to that. It's a little different thing to apply the token to things that are right here. Because we live with things that are here all day long. And we assume they're okay. We assume that they're acceptable because they're a part of us and they shape how we think. 
And it's important for us to let the Holy Spirit comb through our lives and remove or at least identify things that don't belong. And that's why David prayed, because there's a lot of times we don't really know what's wrong or what would be imbalanced or incorrect or inappropriate in our, in our lives. So we need to say, search me, O God, and know my heart today. And let him make that evaluation. And let, because there are many things that we do in life that are right. And if we, um, you know, sometimes we need to, uh, you know, in, in ministry, sometimes people learn, wow, you know, I never knew that this was okay. And I've been doing this for many years, and I never knew it was okay. And it's nice to know that what you're doing is good, and, it, and it's okay. But there's other times when the Holy Spirit will bring to your attention certain things. It might be attitudes, it might be habits, it might be ways of looking at things, or ways of treating one another uh, that need adjustment somehow. And they might be there because of past hurts. They might be there because of pride. They might be there because of uh, a lust or whatever else. Uh, and it's nice to, to be open to the Holy Spirit to identify those things for you. And so that's partly why we come to church, isn't it? That's partly why we, uh, <clears throat> we invite the Holy Spirit to, into that process of searching our hearts. So therefore, uh, there is... Uh, there are some things that God wants to remove, and he, uh, he takes a surgical approach. When God performs surgery in your life, he leaves nothing behind. He knows, how to exa- he knows exactly where to operate. He knows exactly how deep to go. He knows exactly how to make sure that this does not surface again. And he does a thorough work in our hearts. And so one of those things that we've been focusing on is this idea of control. Now, there are different types of control, and God controls everything. We know that uh, he has the the sway in this world. We also know that there's a thing called self-control, and that's really the only thing that you have uh, under your your influence is is self-control, and that is a gift or a fruit of the Spirit. And then three, there's this thing called unhealthy control. And and unhealthy control can take a lot of different forms. It can happen within a marriage. It can happen in a household. It can happen in a church. Uh, Ministers sometimes really desire to control the people uh, in an unhealthy way. But it can also happen in a global sense. As a matter of fact, in the text we read in Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist controls the world in such a way that nobody can actually buy or sell unless they have the mark. That's a form of control, isn't it? It's not a fair form of control, but it definitely is control. I'm glad I'm not going to be around when that happens. Now, so let's, let's look at this now a little bit, this unhealthy control. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham said in, uh, in the Church Age book, he was talking about Thyatira, he said, verse 17, if, this is our text in Revelation 13, 17, it emphatically shows that she will gain absolute control of the commerce of the earth, for no man can buy or sell apart from her. That is borne out in Revelation 18, 9-17 as well, which shows her involvement with kings, princes, merchants, all of whom have to do with Roman commerce. So this control, Brother Branham said, is not limited to just one region, but it is a global phenomenon. It is something that's going to affect the entire world, as Revelation 18 points out. But it begins and it has its anchor or roots in America. And so uh, this, is, this is an important thing, and it's just an example of the unhealthy control that the Antichrist will exercise. Does God want control over you? Absolutely. 
He's standing, knocking, trying to get in to control you, to make you what you should be, to take away the world from you, and to make you new creatures of His. That's why He gives you the things that He has given you. God's given you the fivefold ministry as a gift, hasn't He? God's given you a conscience. I'll tell you what, we should be glad we have a conscience. God's given you a message in this last day. God's given you His Word. God's given you His Holy Spirit to quicken that Word, right? God's given us that inside teacher so that we can know what's right and we can discern what's right from wrong. And all of these things God gives to us because He wants to try to have control in your life. He wants to try to make you what you should be. Now, therefore, the Holy Spirit is interested in bringing truth to us. Okay? And in order to make good decisions about things, we need to know what the facts really are. We need to know the whole story. We need to know the backstory. We've talked a little bit about the backstory in previous services here. So let me give you a little illustration. This is going to be a funny illustration here now for you to think about. A woman walked into a restaurant and asked the man behind the counter for a glass of water. He pulls out a big hairy spider and tosses it towards the lady. A few minutes later, the woman thanks the man and walks out of the restaurant. Why? I know some of you would not thank anybody who threw a real spider at, at you if you walked into a restaurant and asked for a glass of water. The woman asked the man for a glass of water because she had the hiccups. So the man pulled out a harmless but very big and ugly pet spider to scare her. The scare cured her hiccups, so she thanked the man and left. You would never have deduced that answer because you didn't have all the facts in the first question, right? Nothing about hiccups in the first question. So in order to really make the right assessment of things, you've got to have all the facts. And I will tell you something. You know, um, when, when God blessed us, and I, I'm referring to the fact that God gave us things in this last day. He gave the bride things. He gives these people the things they have need of. When God gave us a prophet in the last day, he gave us insight into things that the world really knows nothing about. So we got the facts. We got, we got the whole story. We got the back story, right? You remember many times, you listen to Brother Branham, he'd take a parable out of the, out of the scripture. You know, he talked about, uh, you remember Zacchaeus when he went down in, in Jericho, right? And we have the story in the scripture about how uh, he climbed up in the tree and Jesus talked to him. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, hey, I know you're a son of Abraham. Tonight I'll have supper at your house. And we, we can read the scripture. And Brother Branham come along and give us the back story. And he kind of fill in those little uh, brush strokes there that help complete the picture for us. And, you know, he, he would weave truths into that and help us to understand the whole thing. In order for us to make the best decisions, we have to have the information that we have to have the, the whole story, if you like, the whole picture. And I believe that God has been faithful in giving us that. And we've been able to look in the scripture with an understanding that other ages have never been privileged to see. And I'm thankful for that. The other thing is, too, is that God's uh, given us many examples, and we can look back and see uh, in the Scripture, even if things are uh, in, in the Old Testament, we can realize that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God loves something in the Old Testament or the New, He still loves it today. And if He hated something back there, He still hates it today. If God approves of something back there, He would approve of it again today, because He doesn't change. He's the same. So an example is a thing or a characteristic, a thing characteristic of its kind, which illustrates a general rule. 
And as a, a, it could be a person or a thing regarded in terms of their fitness to be imitated or the likelihood of their being imitated. Now, as an example, Brother Ben talks about revival in America. He said, we talk about revival in America. We've got a lot of church joining, but we haven't got any revival. And one of the famous evangelists, about six weeks after the revival that he had, he said he couldn't find 20 people who, who, who were moved in that revival meeting that he had. And he was referring to Billy Graham and how that, uh, you know, they had a revival, had all these people come to the altar. And then uh, six weeks later, couldn't find 20 of those people left anymore. They kind of drifted back into their way of life. And he said the reason of it is, friend, is because they, have, uh, they just had the people to make a confession. And they stand up and sit down. And he said, that's good. But, brothers, there's a deeper experience than that. And he said, you've got to get to that person Get that person to where the Holy Spirit takes control of that life by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's God's provided way. Isn't it true that uh, there has to be a beginning? There has to be a place where a person turns around and they're attracted by the voice of God. They're attracted by the person of Christ. That's true. But I will tell you what. He wants to become Lord of your life. He wants to get inside and, and shape you and mold you and control you and uh, inspire you and move you and change you and uh, make you into what he's predestinated you to be. So it's not just a passive or a mental experience. And that's why Brother Bram says that people talk about having revival. The only real revival is when the Holy Spirit's free to be able to indwell a person and take control of them by the true baptism of the Holy Spirit and then become their leader. Paul said, now it's not me that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And he says, I can do all things through Christ that that liveth uh, in me and that that's that's really what revival is it doesn't depend on everybody in the church going through that but you can have your own revival by yourself isn't that right by allowing the holy spirit to take a greater measure of control surrendering surrendering uh, your life to him and letting him take uh, take complete control that's exactly what he wants but that's a good kind of control isn't it that's the kind of control that we believe in that's the kind of control but remember now satan is not a creator. He's an impersonator of everything that God does. So therefore, if there's a good kind of control, there's a negative kind as well. And so we want to look at some examples here. In Exodus chapter 1, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you turn to two stories. In Exodus chapter 1, if you would turn to that one for a moment here. Exodus the first. Just stay with me here as we look at this. There's a couple of examples of this kind of negative control you'll find in the Scripture. You'll find it in the days when Jesus was born as well. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So you have two things that are opposed to one another happening at the same time. You have a prosperity among God's people, and you have a promise now that's coming in the season to be fulfilled, right? And you have a king that doesn't know Joseph or doesn't care. You see the picture, right? You see a, 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 government, a government in the land that doesn't consider God's will, that doesn't care about the program of God, and completely turns away from it. 
So now you have two things that are opposed to one another. And he, Pharaoh, said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that there falleth out, when there falleth out any war, that they join also with our enemies and fight against us. So uh, get them up out of the land. This is not the case, but he's afraid of losing control of the situation in his own country. He doesn't realize this is the program of God, but he's afraid of losing control. Like, what if? And, and he's really, this is a, there's a selfishness here because he's looking at preserving his own kingdom, right? He's looking at his, his intent, his, his whole motive is to make sure he preserves his kingdom and his place on the throne. And so therefore he, 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 he seeks to place control over the uh, children of Israel. Therefore, verse 11, did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, thank God. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. I can't get control of this situation. And someone who's a controller, hey, what's the point of getting out of bed in the morning if you can't control everyone around you? And he couldn't do it. 13, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name one was Sephira, Shifra, and the name of the other one was Pua. And he said, when ye do the office of the midwife of the Hebrew women and set them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. If it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved them children alive. But the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. They are lively and they are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. And therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mightily. You may be going through a time of persecution or taskmasters over you. But I will tell you something, God is watching over that. He was watching over everything they were going through. And his purpose was not foiled because there was oppression, because there was persecution there. God's still watching over it. His plan comes to pass. He's, he's mindful of everything that's going on here. And it came to pass because the midwives fear God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all the people saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall stay alive. He's doing everything he can to maintain control. And he's doing it contrary to God's will. He's destroying all the men, men child, the man, the man children, the boys. Uh, in the river there, and of course, then we know the next story breaks into the whole deliverance of Moses in the basket, and off it goes, you know, and tells that story. No matter, let me tell you something, God is not intimidated by human control. No matter where it comes from, either in the days of Pharaoh or in the days of Herod when Jesus was born. Take your Bible again, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's move ahead a little bit there to 1 Samuel and let's look at another place here. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 11. Here's another king who definitely didn't want to lose control. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 11. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David. 
because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. So the Spirit of God is removed from Saul, and guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to control the circumstances around him to keep his, his place on the throne. God essentially has washed his hands of Saul, but Saul is trying to control this by destroying David, or at least pushing David away, so that he stays on the, on the throne himself. But when the Spirit of God moves away, all kinds of things are possible now. He's got a spirit of fear on him. Uh, he's got a real unrest in his heart. Everything is going turning dark for Saul. He's trying to do everything he can to hang on to something that God has taken away from him already. What a terrible thing to try to control something you can't control. And to, and to spend your days and to spend your, your life trying to exercise control over something that God has already done. God's already decided. God's already, uh, you know, changed the scene here. And uh, Saul is still trying to do it. He's trying to do it in, in whatever way would work for him. 13. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand and went out and came, uh, to, came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. And wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So here's a man with the Spirit of God, and here's a man without the Spirit of God. We have two things that are diametrically opposed to one another, right? And the person without the Spirit of God reverts to a kind of control. David doesn't need to do that. He knows God's got him in that position. He's got a rest He's got a peace about this. He's got a promise that Samuel gave him. He doesn't have any worries at all. He knows he doesn't have to accomplish this. If God said it, God's going to bring it to pass. And when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have a promise, and they have a a spirit inside that leads them, and they have a land they're going to that they know is real, by faith they know it's real, right? they got a Bible full of promises. they got a message full of promises. Hey, we can rest in the fact that, you know what? I'm not in control of this. I, this is not my plan. This is not my program. This is God's. I'm going to rest in His leadership. I'm going to let Him take me home. That's, what, that's how a believer views it. I don't need to control everything around me. I can rest in God's leadership. I can rest in God's power to bring it to pass. But if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're going to do whatever you can to try to hang on to everything to preserve your kingdom. Right? That's why a lot of times, and I've seen this, and you know, some of you have come from, unfortunately, come from churches where, uh, you know, maybe pastors uh, have tried to control the people and can tried to um, even, even continue in a false teaching or something or other uh, and, and try to convince the people that they have to follow because he's the pastor. And because I said so. Hey, because I said so matters nothing to the bride of Christ. We hear only one voice, right? It doesn't matter because Brother Barry says so. It doesn't matter uh, whether so-and-so says Hey, what matters is what God says, right? That's why we're trained to keep our eye on the Word. And to me, you always have every right to believe everything that God has said. So... The story goes on, and of course, David, in his, uh, in his conduct and in his way of uh, handling things, uh, you know, he conducts himself wisely. And the people are looking at this and saying, oh, you know, David, he's just a, just a man anointed of God, and uh, he's, just, he's just got it together. And the people are they're drawn to that. But I want you to watch now how Saul plays this game, all right, if you don't mind. 17. And Saul said to David, 
Behold my elder daughter, Mirab, her will I give thee to wife. This is Saul speaking to David now. I'm going to give you my elder daughter. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life and my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given, un, uh, she was given unto Adriel, the Meatholite, to wife. I hear Saul playing these games with David. I'm going to promise you my elder daughter is going to be a great honor. You're going to be my first son-in-law and so forth. Comes down to the wedding day and he gives her to some other guy over here. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I'll give him her a secondary honor. And she may be a snare to him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law, in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king delighteth in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore, be the king's son-in-law. I mean, there's no end to the things that Saul's doing here. He's just playing these games with David and just trying to, uh, you know, have control over this situation. And Saul's servant spake these words, 23, in the years of David. And David said, seemeth to you but a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, saying that I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed. And the servants of Saul told him, on this manner spake David. And Saul said, thus shall ye say to David, the king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He's just laying constant traps for David here and trying to do whatever he can to connive and to plan to eliminate David when God's got his hand upon David. And you know what? He's not going to win. But a man without the Holy Ghost undermines or underestimates the power of God to be able to fulfill his will. And so he's, he's putting David into a death trap here to go after all these Philistines. And, um, and then 28 says, And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, daughter, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. And the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Listen, folks. To a Jew, prophecy was gospel. To a Jew, prophecy was gospel. And at the heart of this whole issue is Saul being aware of Genesis 49. Genesis 49 was when Jacob was on his deathbed and gathered all of his sons around him, and he said to Judah, The scepter shall not depart from thee until Shiloh come. So in other words, kings the scepter of a king, will arise out of Judah. Guess what tribe Saul is from? But Benjamin, what tribe is David from? Judah. And so to a Jew, prophecy is gospel. Saul, at heart, knows he's wrong. And here's David now from Judah, from the tribe of Judah. He knows he can't win. But without the Holy Ghost, he's going to throw everything in his human power against the will of God anyway. And he falls flat on his face in doing it. So it's not just about the fact that David, you know, kills Goliath here. God, he knows that God is with David. 
Because David's from the right tribe. David's got everything in place, and he's got the word of a prophet, and he's got the right lineage. All the things line up for David here, and Saul has grieved the Holy Spirit away, and God has rejected uh, the leadership of King Saul. And so Saul, in his desperation, is exercising the negative control, as that's the only thing he's got left. That's the only thing he's got left to try to control this situation, is to do whatever he can to manipulate the people, the Philistines, whatever he can to try to destroy David. Because as long as David is out there, or David's fighting Philistines, or David's you know, somewhere else, he's not on my throne. And I'm here to preserve my place. Do you understand what's going on? It's a negative kind of control that we as peop- the people of God do not need to worry about. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God and you're predestinated, you're going to be there. God's obligated to get his own there. you just got to make your calling and election sure. Brother Branham says this in adoption. He says the daughters, the churches were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Then he got jealous. And that old Jesus name stuff, there's nothing to it. And what did God do to him? But sent an evil spirit to David to hate him without a cause. David could have wrung his neck a few times, but he just let it go. He never said anything. And he sure could have done it. He went over, cut the tail of his coat off of Saul in the cave, but he let him alone, could have broke his congregation up, could have scattered them, started an organization himself if he wanted to, but he didn't do it. He just let Saul go on. He let God do the fighting. You want a piece of advice? You don't need to manipulate everybody around you in a situation because it's not going your way. If you're a believer in God, let me tell you, let God do the fighting. Let God do the uh, positioning. Let God do the repositioning. Let God make all the wrongs right. Let God fix the injustices of a situation. Let God have his way. Let God be the control in this whole thing. There's a lot of times husbands and wives, you know, they'll, they'll attempt to control each other with uh, moods and anger or whatever else. And, and, and uh, teenagers try to, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of situations here. Hey, listen, if we believe in God and we, sh- we, we profess to believe in God, if we're Christians, hey, let the Holy Spirit have, have his way in your life. Let him have his way among your family and, and seek peace and pursue peace between yourselves. Don't try, to, uh, don't try to manipulate things your way. Hey, l- listen, God knows the better way. And His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Let Him have His way. You just say, God, make sure I don't miss your will, because that's what's most important here. I don't want to miss your will. Because when you exercise negative control, it's generally, and I hope I've illustrated this point, watch here, Jeremy, if you're ready here, when you, when you put God out, you're going to do whatever you can to exercise your own kind of control. We have a great example in our nation when we put God out. Let me tell you, there will be controls that you will not appreciate. Now, Forgive me here. We're going to show you this that happened in, in uh, Congress uh, a couple of days ago, and I've got the audio. He's got the video, so we're going, to, we're going to team up together here. We don't know why over here in the Fellowship Hall we can't coordinate the two, but uh, it's not Jeremy's pay grade. It, it's got to be hired in order to get this done. So I'm helping out here. 
Now, the congressman from Florida is speaking with a mask on, so I hope you can hear uh, what he's actually saying, all right? But he's, he's defending against the Equality Act that's moving through Congress at the moment. And I will just say this, and this is not my normal tack to talk about, you know, things that are happening so directly, but I will tell you what, this act is your enemy. And as far as our church, it will affect our church. It will affect Christians. It will affect everything from faith-based health care to homeschooling uh, to just about anything else that we can identify as a Christian freedom that we have in our nation here. And it is a platform upon which other things will come. And I'll, I'll just say that much to you. But this congressman, Greg Staub from Florida, uh, gives a really good biblical defense as to why we should not have this uh, this in, in, in place here at the moment here. So I just wanted to play you this little clip. I want you to follow it as closely as you can and then listen to the end part um, so you can catch what's, what's, what's being said. Amen. When men or women claim to be able to choose their own sexual identity, they are making a statement that God did not know what he was doing when he created them. I'm going to quote directly from Dr. Tony Evans' commentary Bible on this passage of Scripture. Men and women equally share in bearing the image of God, but he has designed them to be distinct from and complementary toward one another. The gender confusion that exists in our culture today is a clear rejection of God's good design. Amen. Whenever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, that nation is in rebellion against him and will inevitably bear the consequences. Gentlemen, will suspend. The House will be in order. Gentlemen, I continue. I'm going to read that line again. Whenever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, that nation is in rebellion against him and will inevitably bear the consequences. Amen. And I think we are seeing the consequences of rejecting God here in our country today. And this bill speaks directly against what is laid out in Scripture. Our government, through this bill, is going to redefine what a woman is and what a man is. It can be anyone who identifies in that gender. Mr. Stubbe, what any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. I would just have to say that if Brother Branham was alive today, he would have something to say about what was just said. That when a congressman stands up and says that whatever somebody believes is God's will has no place in the Congress here, that's a symbol that America as a corporate entity has turned its back on God. Can you come back to, uh, to me here if you don't mind? Now, when, when a nation turns its back on God, when a nation leaves God out, it's going to try to control in whatever way it can. Right? When Saul was rejected by God, he tried to control in whatever way he could. It did not defeat God's purpose. God had his way anyway, right? But there were consequences within the nation. When Pharaoh tried to stop God's program, he was unsuccessful but made it difficult for the people in the nation, right? It's a negative kind of control. 
Now, and this is a, a little section here that I had read. Uh, this Congressman Nadler who made that final statement there, uh, he is a person who's well known for being uh, a person who wants to take God completely out of everything in the United States. But he unmasked the true nature of the proposed law, which is the Equality Act. And far from valuing diverse opinions and beliefs, it tramples free exercise of religion and even demonizes free speech. So all of a sudden now we have issues in relation to free speech in our nation here. Watch what Brother Branham says. I found this quote fascinating. Because you remember now, the Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so would it be in the days of the Son of Man, right? Now listen to what he says here. And then in this life, man began to achieve things at a level of prosperity. But when he did, he began to leave God out of the picture. And he began to have selfish motives. And when he did that, he began to think of something for himself. And we find that it isn't long until he had corrupted the very planet that God had put him on. He got it in such a condition till even his creator grieved him at his heart that he'd ever made a man. And you can imagine how God felt when he seen the very creature that he made in his image and give dominion and how that he made him do something for him. And he turned all of his strength and his power over to selfish desire and achievements. So it's not for the good of mankind. It's not for the good of the nation. It's not for the, uh, the good of the world anymore. It's all about selfish motives now. Right? It's all, that's, that's the whole idea. And this is, this is because when you leave God out of the picture, that's what Brother Bram says. But when he did, he began to leave God out of the picture because of his prosperity. So we have an army and we have an economy and we have a control in the world and we have an influence in the world. And so we don't need God. We can do this. And when they do that, all this other stuff enters in there. Let me tell you, it's no different for you on an individual basis. If you turn away from serving the Lord and walking with God, you'll be turned over to all kinds of influences in your life that you'll eventually regret. And it's amazing how fast it happens. Bear with me. It's going to get a lot more exciting than this in just a moment here. Watch what Brother Branham says. Lord, our hearts tonight as we look out across the world and see the great signs of Scripture being fulfilled and see the worlds as it was staggering, looking around at the nature of the people, seeing that we're in the spirit of the last day, moving into the spirit of the last day. They had to get in the spirit of the antediluvian world before they could be destroyed. They had to be in the spirit of war before they can have war. God let us be in the spirit of Christ tonight so we can have Christ let us be in the spirit of repentance and the spirit of faith. So there is a, a spiritual atmosphere that you want to move into. There's a spiritual uh, channel if you want. You need to plug into to fulfill your part. But the world's got to plug into this uh, anti-Christ uh, channel as well to be completely rejecting of Christ, like they rejected Noah in his day, right? And we're left outside the ark. It's because they have plugged into or tapped into an influence in the world and were carried along by the currents in the world at that particular time that kept everybody outside the ark. Those currents were strong enough to keep everybody outside the ark, weren't they? 
And people were swept along with that. No matter how religious they were, no matter how good intentions they had, no matter how much they would have sympathized with Noah and believed that he may be right, the currents were strong enough to keep everybody out of that ark except those that God ordained to move into that ark. And let me tell you, God's power of predestination is stronger than any current that exists in this world. How many believe that? Absolutely. You better be thankful for that current, that power that exists in the world that moves you along at the speed of God and not at the speed of tribulation. And moving you in a direction that's counter to where the world's going and just strong enough to keep you moving in the right direction. Let me tell you, that's not your determination nor your intellect. That's the Spirit of God that's behind you moving you to a place that you need to be eventually so where we can have our bodies changed. It's not your strength. It's not your uh, self-discipline. It's not your intellect. It is not your own determination that does it. You may have the desire, but let me tell you, God's got the power as He's in control and He's the one that's able to move you along contrary to the flow of where this world is going. Let me show you an example of where the world is moving. Here's one example, and there are many here, and I won't, don't want to dwell too long on it. But there's a group, uh, there's a group that uh, exists. They're a think tank uh, in Washington, and they study the freedom of the world's nations, the ability to operate freely within a nation. And uh, they make observations and they do a report every year about how the nations are doing in terms of personal freedoms. Can journalists, uh, you know, report on things freely? Are they able, is, is there, the, does the government in a nation control uh, the news outlets uh, and so forth? Like in Myanmar, there is, only, uh, there is only one media outlet in the country. The government owns it and controls it. And they have complete and total say of what the people get to hear. And it's all channeled through Facebook. Facebook is the medium, and the government owns it. They control it. In other words, they barred every other access to the Internet for the people of the country. And so whatever goes on that is filtered through the government's filters. So they're only allowed to hear what the government puts on there and allows to be broadcast on there. That's just the way it is. It's not a free country. At this point, we still have a semblance of free speech. But I want you to watch. The report just came out from uh, the uh, Freedom Group here. And this is what they said. Authoritarian actors grew bolder during 2020 as major democracies turned inward. Major democracies turned inward. In other words, they're looking after their own policies and their own nations, contributing to the 15th consecutive year of decline in global freedom, according to the Freedom in the World 2021 report. It's an annual country-by-country assessment of political rights and civil liberties released by Freedom House. Now, just there's a point to this. Here's what Brother Branham said. We know we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that this is the, this is the early church. This is about 2,000 years ago, right? And if the whole world lieth in wickedness then, we're, now we're seeing the fruit in the tree at the end of the growing cycle. Right? The seeds have been sown back here, and we're looking at the end of it. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and that we are in Him that is true, even His Son, Christ Jesus, and this is the true God in eternal life. You see, we got two opposing things at the same time. we got a world lying in wickedness and a people walking in light. Isn't that what we have today in our world? Right? You've got a world that's engulfed in wickedness, and you've got a people who are walking in the light, according to the book of Zechariah. It shall be light about the evening time. 
Here's the shifting international balance that they came up with. The amount of free nations has declined. The amount of partly free has remained about the same, but the amount of nations that people are, see their freedoms reduced or taken away is increasing. So this is the negative uh, side of things. But here's the global picture that this is a change in freedom diagram. So for the nations that are less free, they are in this burnt orange color. So if your nation is less free this year than it was last year, in other words, there's more controls over media, there's more controls over personal freedom, there's more control over what you, um, what you can say on the Internet and so forth. Hey, our constitutional freedoms include a freedom of speech. Right? Uh, hold on. Let's, let's get to it. The countries that are less free are in this burnt orange color, and the countries that are more free are in this dark green. And there's only... That's light green, light green, light green. There are no dark green here. In other words, you know what we're seeing is a trend towards the world becoming a less free place because it's going under the control of, guess who? Not the American government, not the Chinese government. It's going under the control of the Antichrist. So we're, we're, Brother Bram said you've got to get in the spirit of something before it happens. The world is trending this way. And, and they, did a, they do an individual assessment of every nation just for your interest. Here's the American picture that in 1994, this was the level of freedom that, they, that we enjoyed and it has declined down to 83%. And, and the fine print there says that the political corruption, conflict of interest, lack of transparency in government, punitive immigration, and asylum policies and so forth. Hey, we're in a state of decline as a nation in terms of personal freedom. You say, really? Really? <clears throat> August 19, 2020. All of a sudden, we have five tech companies that control one-tenth or comprise one-tenth of all the stocks and all the revenue that exists in the world. Five tech companies. And they're listed here. The stocks of Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook. Uh, Google uh, is the other one. And uh, Alphabet is, uh, I think it's a mother corporate name, and is tied to, to Google. The five largest publicly traded companies rose 37% in the first seven months of this year. Remember, this is written in 2020, okay, in the pandemic year. And while all other stocks in the S&P 500 fell a combined 6%, and these five companies now constitute 20%, not 10%, 20% of the stock market's total worth, a level not seen from a single industry in at least 70 years. Apple's stock value, the highest of the bunch, reached $2 trillion on Wednesday, double what it was just 21 weeks ago. Half, half of everything that's purchased on the Internet, 50% of everything that's purchased on the Internet, 
goes to Amazon. And that's how big Amazon actually is. So all of a sudden now, these companies that operate social media and so forth have begun to act like some sort of a policeman. Where for years, they, they, no one wanted the government to intervene with legislation about controlling things that were said on the Internet. But all of a sudden now we have policemen who are determining by algorithms what's appropriate to say. Did I miss something? Did I miss the vote? Did I miss the vote that elected those guys to be the policemen and the moral arbitrators over what's appropriate and what's not? Did I miss something? So all of a sudden now we have controls that are placed over what's said. I might even say that this sermon might not pass the algorithm's test. Enjoy it if you're streaming. Enjoy it. Hey, the handwriting's on the wall, right? The handwriting's on the wall. This is really just the tip of the iceberg for what's really taken place. And I didn't want to bore you with a great deal of... Of, of issues here. But just to say this, that there are controls now being exerted that uh, no one elected and no one seems to be able to control. I mean, the government doesn't control these folks because the revenue of some of the individual companies are much larger than many nations of the earth. And these companies now, and the rest of this article, if you're able to read it, the rest of this article said that these companies are actually acting like countries. They're called net states. And as a result of that, they kind of have their own government, and now they're exercising control over what you hear and what you can say and what... I must have missed something. I must have been out when that... I must have been having surgery when they made that vote or something. Because all of a sudden now there there are things being... Listen, all I want you to do is just to realize that in our world, in a very short period of time, controls can be exercised without anybody taking a vote. And what we used to call a nation that had its own liberties and so forth and your own choices, this wasn't the way it was five years ago or ten years ago. It wasn't like anything like this. So now they can shut down focus on the family because the algorithm feels like what's being said does not... My goodness, it does not conform to what, uh, you know, the, the definition of uh, tolerance is and anti-racism and so forth. Hey, ha, g- uh, poor Dr. Seuss went under the table, right? Went under the bus. I was reading last night, I didn't bring it with me, but I was reading last night about how Amazon, how they operate within their company. And this is a little story about a fellow by the name of Bodani. Uh, he was an older man. He used to work for Bethlehem Steel up there in Pennsylvania. And uh, just to give you an example here, this is just a little glimpse into how they do it. And uh, Bethlehem Steel held a, a, a portion of uh, Pittsburgh up there and uh, an acreage that they had where they held their plants and so forth. All those plants were all uh, went into default because of Chinese steel and all the rest of it, so they went out of business. So Mr. Bodani used to work for Bethlehem Steel, made 35 bucks an hour. And uh, because the plant now was worth nothing, uh, Google or Amazon came in and bought, uh, bought the property and built a 22-acre warehouse. The warehouse is 22 acres. And they have all of these employees that are in there uh, who are monitored continually by cameras that are everywhere. And this person who gets hired, naturally he applies online and 
has to satisfy the requirements to be a forklift operator. And that's what this guy, Bodani, actually is. He's 50-something years old. Um, he's an old fellow, so they call him Pop, or old man. He's by far the oldest one around. And he started out by making $12 an hour. And other indignities that he suffers are more insidious. The company uses an algorithm to track how productive its workers are and how much time they spend off task flagging people for termination if the data shows them underperforming. So if he's taking a lunch break or if he's taking an extra five minutes for his uh, you know, lunch break and, and doing other things, necessary things, then the algorithm will decide whether this guy is actually worth the $12 we're paying him. And... In other words, he can be fired without ever talking to anybody who's considered a supervisor. He would get an email from the algorithm that would say, your, your level of productivity doesn't warrant the $12 an hour that we're paying you, so therefore don't show up tomorrow. Your, the rest of your pay will be sent to you in the mail. And there are controls that are existing in our world that... In a sense, a lot of it's happening right around us, and uh, I would guarantee you there's not a thing in the world that any of us are going to do to turn this around or to turn the level of freedom in the world around and turn nations around. You're not going to pray this away, folks. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this to try to scare you. I'm trying to tell you that we have arrived at a time where the prophecies about our time are being fulfilled and there's, there's elements of control in the world that, are, that to me are a platform for the Antichrist to come and rescue the whole thing because he's going to come in with flatteries, right? It's, it's, a, it's a form of negative control, but it will all be under his control. I have one word to leave with you, and that is this, that no matter how much power he attempts to exercise, and no matter how great the level of influence he has within the world, to be able to even override these companies like Amazon and Google and Microsoft and so forth, and to be able to overtake the whole world, because we read in our text in Revelation chapter 13 that he brings the whole world to the place where they can't buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is going to transcend all of this. Do you understand the prophecy is stronger than all of this, and it's going to transcend all the ambitions of these companies and all the ambitions of the governments. It's going to transcend that. The mark of the beast is going to determine whether you can buy or sell. So you may have lots of money, but you can't transact unless you have the mark of the beast, right? And that's where it's coming to. Let me tell you, if you think this is powerful, we've got another entity that's arising in the world that's even more powerful than this one here. And yet... Yet, what I want to leave you with is this, is that no matter how powerful all of this actually is, there's a power that is greater than that, that is able to take the bride and lift her out of that and into glory. Let's stand to our feet. I feel like preaching. I mean, I could preach right now. What a, what a blessing it is to know that you're on the right side of the pillar of fire. What, what a blessing to know that you're on the right side of this whole pressure that's moving in the world and moving the whole world towards tribulation. And then without a, void, without a vote, without a voice, without a choice in the matter, it's all being moved in a certain direction by forces that people have no choice about at all. And here you are sitting in a church where the Holy Spirit is free to move you in a direction contrary to the world and closer to the kingdom. We are a very blessed people. We are a very blessed people. 
I will tell you that. I believe that God has His eye upon His bride. And uh, no matter what Pharaoh did, and no matter what Herod did, and no matter what King Saul did, no matter what they did, there was never enough authority within themselves to be able to stop God's program in that particular hour. I'm a little bit off topic in terms of stepping into the water. We'll get back on track again. Let's sing that little chorus. Uh, I'm going to make it. He's already said that, it, that I would. Uh, we never sing it as good as Sister Kristen can sing it, but the ver- I love the verse and I love the promise that it contains here. I'm going to make it because he already said that I would. In God's mind, it's already done. It's a done deal. Got it? I'm gonna make it He's already said that I would And I'll I'll keep on trusting That He's working everything for my good Beside me, and heaven is in my view. Oh, I'm gonna make it through. Sing it again now, everybody together. That he's working everything for my good And he walks beside me And my view Face tomorrow. 
Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. Count the cost. Take up your cross and follow Heavenly Father, we thank you for how clear your word becomes, Lord. How we can see that modern events in this last day are being made clear by prophecy. Father, have your way, I pray, among us. We who believe, we who trust you, we who obey your word, Lord, we who have been the called. And I ask, O oh God, that you would just make your word so real, so strong, that the current and life within it would move us above and beyond the pull of this world that, Lord, you would just catch us away. and Father, even if, we, even if we were taken away before this weekend came, Lord, I believe none of us would resist that event. Every one of us, Lord, we just see nothing left of this world that we would want to embrace. So, Lord, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts, Lord. Make us ready to cross that river, to be on the other side with you, Lord. Make us, I pray, willing subjects and obedient servants, Lord. Father, have your way, and we'll give you thanks and praise for all you're showing us and all you're doing within us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. God bless you as you go tonight. We'll see you on the weekend. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross. Every day, don't be ashamed. Say that you know Him. Count the cost. Take up your cross and follow Him. Take up your cross and follow. Every day.